Okay, at this time, uh, we have a first split sermon brought to us by Mr. Art Williams entitled, Waiting for the City. It was late in the afternoon. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> These allergies, they'll really get you down sometimes. <clears throat> you don't speak for a few minutes, and all of a sudden you can't speak at all. <clears throat> it was late in the afternoon as a large crowd entered the courtroom. It had been announced several hours earlier that the jury had reached a verdict. The sun blazing down through the west window at the courtroom made the room stifling, and the air conditioning did a little to mitigate the heat and humidity. The room was alive with anticipation for the jury to return and what the expectations were for the verdict. <clears throat> the jury had been out for some time and the case before them was somewhat unique. Finally, after an interminable time, probably only 20 minutes or so, but seemed like hours, the jury filed into the courtroom. As the jurors entered, none of them looked at the defendant. They took their place orderly and quietly. Then the judge entered. And after some procedural tasks, asked the foreman of the jury to rise and to read the verdict. <clears throat> there was deathly silence in the courtroom as the foreman, rising slowly, never glancing at the defendant, said, Your Honor, we find the defendant guilty on all charges. The judge proceeded with some additional procedural tasks, then pronounced the mandatory sentence and the court was adjourned. <clears throat> the crowd was buzzing about the verdict. Would there be an appeal? Would there be a retrial? Would the perpetrator be imprisoned? Where would the perpetrator be imprisoned? The questions were endless. <clears throat> and as the crowd exited the hall of justice, they were met outside on the steps by a host of reporters asking people for their opinions and comments. One said, justice was served here today. Another said, the victims got justice today. Another one said, she got what she deserved. Another one said, the cops should have just shot and killed her and saved the expense of the trial in prison. And so the events of the day ended, and the crowd melted away into the emptiness at the courthouse, and life went on. For most, returning to the daily grind, now that the excitement associated with the trial was over. For the victims and the perpetrator, life would never be quite the same. But the words spoken outside of the steps, outside on the steps of the Hall of Justice that day, retreated back through the open doors and into the Hall of Justice, and down the hall and into the courtroom, where they echoed off the courtroom walls and landed upon the ears of one sitting there, alone, unnoticed, and unseen. And he considered very carefully the words he had just heard and who had said them. You see, the events of that day that played out in that courtroom didn't begin a month ago, six months ago, or even a year ago. The events that culminated in the courtroom that afternoon started almost two decades earlier. It was, by all accounts, 
a very typical morning in anywhere USA. The cool morning air, the early morning sun beams reflecting off of the dew sparkling like so many diamonds across the backyard. While inside the house, a man was scurrying around, gathering up items and placing them into an overnight bag that was needed for the trip. He then helped his wife out into the car and they departed quickly, driving with a sense of urgency but mindful of driving safely. It should not take more than 30 minutes or so to get to the hospital and the contractions were becoming more frequent and stronger. And so it was a few hours later that a new potential member of the kingdom of God was born. And on that day, the doctors did not detect it. The nurses did not perceive it. The baby born that day was addicted to drugs. Both parents were drug addicts. And it was about four years later that they, the parents, decided they did not want to have a little baby girl anymore, and they gave her away to a relative. A relative that abused her. And at the age of eight, she had no idea that the things that she was experiencing were abnormal. She thought all children experienced these things, and she did not understand why she felt the way she did, why she was unhappy, why she was doing the things that she was doing, why she was different from the other kids. Then, after being removed from the abusive relative, she was placed into a tough love school for troubled children, a place where the tough love that she received was essentially a form of torture, and within 30 days she attempted suicide. Being removed from there, she decided she could trust no adult or the system, and somehow she would have to figure out how to make it on her own. So some two years later, at the age of 14, she ran away to try to make it on her own. And so it was four years later, at the age of 18, she was arrested, tried, convicted, and sentenced. The one sitting in the courtroom, unseen by anyone, hearing the words echo off the walls in the courtroom, knew the truth. He knew the entire story in its entirety down to the most minute detail. As a non-participant in the ways of the world, he said nothing about what transpired that day, but kept it to himself. You see, the comment that victims got justice today wasn't true. Because this baby girl was a victim herself at the time of her birth. And she received no justice that day in the courtroom. She never had a chance at real life. She didn't ask to be born addicted to drugs or to have parents that were addicted to drugs or to be abused or the, on any of the other things that she encountered. And as he sat there, his mind drifted to the parents of children in the Middle East that teach their children to hate and kill and thereby perpetuate the evil generation to generation. To those without jobs and without purpose in life that join hate organizations that provide them a purpose. Or to those that stoop to a life of crime to survive or the, to those that bring drugs across the Mexico-U.S. border, because if they don't, family members being held hostage by the cartel will kill them. And to the sniper in the clock tower at the University of Texas at Austin that, tw that killed 28 and left a note behind requesting that his brain be autopsied to see what was wrong with him because no person should feel the way he did and act out what he was doing. Something must be wrong. And they did, and they did. That is, they did perform an autopsy, and they did find something wrong. He had a brain tumor. 
He thought about all of this and how victims generate victims, and that the cycle can be broken only by the establishment of the kingdom of God, and not by law and order or justice of man. Even repentance of an entire nation doesn't change any of this. Only the kingdom of God changes it. Any thought, do people really want to see the kingdom of God come? Every person born except Adam and Eve and Jesus has the same limitation as this little baby girl. None of them had anything to say about who their parents were, what propaganda, lies, and errors their teachers taught them and their parents taught them. The environment that they raised in, the negative, abusive, hostility, or strict authoritarianism, or free-ranging with no guidance at all, not to mention the external environmental pollution that may impact their body chemistry and their emotions and the wiring of the brains. Every person in that courtroom and every person in every church is no different. They had nothing to say about what they became through their early childhood. They could only try to deal with it the best way that they know how or would learn to how, learn to. Then sitting there alone and unseen, the sun was setting, courtroom was darkening, and it cooled. And having pondered the words and judgmental comments of the people, he wondered how many of them were worthy of imprisonment. And he remembered how many similar statements he had heard after Pearl Harbor, after 9-11, after Oklahoma City, after Ferguson, Missouri, after Colorado Springs, after Sandy Hook, after Paris, France, and after San Bernardino. And he remembered the word spoken 1,985 years earlier when it was written in Ezekiel 33.11. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that wicked should turn from his ways and lived. And he wondered aloud, do men take pleasure in the death of the wicked? And he remembered the words of Jesus recorded by John in 1247. And if any man hear my word and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And he wondered aloud, do men want to help save the world, or judge the world, and condemn the world? It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before its time, until the Lord comes. Because Jesus is ultimately responsible to judge. And what the need to be concerned about is found in 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. For it begins with the church first. And one of the most important principles is found in Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Do men know the characteristics of the mind of Christ? And remembered the scripture that Luke recorded in 6.35. Beloved your enemies, and do good. In the last part of the scripture, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Kind to both, the unthankful and the evil. Be you therefore merciful as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not condemn. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. And in Matthew 7 too, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
And thinking back on 2 Philippians 5, where it says, let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ. He reflected on the word let and how it impacts man. Let is to facilitate, simply allow, simply not to block it out. And he remembered in 2 Corinthians 3.17 where it says, where the spirit is, there is liberty. The spirit is self-governing. You don't need a ton of laws when you have the spirit of God active. People listening to it, adhering to it. These are some pivotal scriptures of Christian development. Having the mind of Christ being focused on his goal, not physical salvation of nations, but redemption spiritually into the kingdom of God. And not only a new city that will be established, but the establishment of a new heaven and new earth. As it says in 2 Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He meditated on the fact that God is concerned about their spiritual development, the condition of their heart. And this revolves around their mental orientation, mental focus, emotional condition, what they do and how they do it. These scriptures are about the condition of the human heart, the mental focus and the attitude and the emotions and the works that result from that mental focus and the, the emotional state. It is part of worshiping God in spirit. Mental focus, emotional condition, what they do and how they do it. And he thought to himself, do they know how to forgive? Do they know how to have mercy in their heart? Do they know how to have compassion if they don't have it? And he thought, do they have faith to believe that God will impart his mind within them? Or are the limits of their faith don't, does the limit of their faith not allow that? Do they apply faith to having God impart his mind to them? And do they even want to have the mind of Christ? Maybe they enjoy pointing the finger. Maybe they enjoy, we'll show these evil culprits a thing or two as they shake the fist in the air. Perhaps they want to clean up today's society under the authority of man, but that is Jesus' job, and he's the only one that can do it rightly. The answers to the questions above aren't intellectual, you see, because if we were given a quiz of the Bible and we were asked these questions, we'd all know the right answers. The answers, the true answers, relied in the deep regions of their heart and soul. Do they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? If they have faith and desire to build mercy, compassion, and forgiveness, then it starts with the definition of those words. Forgiveness, to give up the claim of requital, from or retribution upon another for an offense, or to cease from feeling resentment against one on another for a wrong committed. And lots of times they don't understand because they think that accepting this definition of forgiveness means accepting or pardoning the act. 
rather than it being a condition of the heart. The definition of mercy, forbearance from inflicting harm as punishment under provocation, not dishing out that which is deserved. As Jesus does for all of us. The definition of compassion, to show mercy or pity, excited by the distress or misfortune of others. Perhaps they don't understand that if they continuously respond to negative news with anger, revenge, other negative emotions, that they will begin to practice that and they will become that emotion and it is inculcated, inculcated into what they are and who they are. And they will begin to act out these personality disorders in their own decision making and the ramifications are felt by others in both actions and in words. Man's usual effort to rid himself of anger is to suppress it. But the real solution is the change in mental orientation or focus. The process, the change, is to learn from these tragic occasions, make the tragic occasions a learning experience, finding the meaning from God's word to focus on his goal of establishing his kingdom and how his kingdom is the answer to these problems, and giving back to Jesus the right to judge. Second point is to focus on the background of the circumstances of the individuals, not judging whether it's right or wrong for someone from ISIS to kill innocent people, but how did, that ever, how did that individual ever become involved with ISIS and why did they become involved in ISIS? Because that's the crux of the matter. It's the heart that needs changed. And in the meantime, we're all like Lot. Second Peter 2.7 says, Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And that's what we can be oppressed and probably are. We read about all the events that happen around the world. We can be oppressed by them. And the totality of perilous times isn't even here yet. The worst is yet in front of us. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.3, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness, the countenance of the heart is made better. Coming to see the need for the kingdom of God and crying and sighing because of man's inadequacy in all aspects of man's effort to govern over other men is a step in the direction of a better heart. Even if 100% of the nation became believers, it doesn't change the limits of man's ability. That alone does not change his heart or his inadequacies. The emotional, the emotional knee-jerk reaction to unrighteousness that promotes more unrighteousness and then throw in the influence of Satan. And then you thought about Jesus and how in Mark 3.17, Jesus, referring to James, the son of Zedebee, and John, the brother of James, he gave the name Sons of Thunder. It's easy to become a son of thunder. Luke records why Jesus did this. 
in Luke 9, 53 through 56. Not that they did not receive him. I'll break into the context here. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. And they continued on to another village. And in James 1.20 it's written, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The carnality of man is not eliminated by baptism. The perfection of man is not achieved by the laying on of hands. It is only the start of the journey to strive through humility for the perfection that will be obtained with the resurrection and at the change. Romans 8, 22 through 23, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only then, but ourselves, they all, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And he wondered, do they groan for the kingdom? Or do they think their nation would repent and seek God and everything would be all right? But that doesn't usher in the kingdom of God. God's out to save the world, all nations. In the kingdom of God, all deficiencies of man's government vanish. Government of man is not something to behold the kingdom of God. And his rule is a continuous diet of mental focus on lawlessness and the evil of society, which is distributed by newspapers and the internet, may result in some of them becoming victims to Matthew twenty four twelve, where it says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Something that they can't afford to happen. They can't let themselves be waxing cold to the indifference of society. The righteousness of God is not served by man's limited justice that serves the purpose of the culture, society, and the nation in which it resides, whether pre-World War II Nazi Germany, post-World War II Communist Russia, or post-World War II United States, or the current judicial system in the U.S., 1 Corinthians 4, 5, again, says, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Jesus is able to see what goes on behind the scenes and to see the entirety as to why a person is the way they are In Matthew 12, 36, he goes on to say, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. And so after meditating on all these issues, his thoughts return to the little baby girl, now an imprisoned adult. But still, a potential heir 
to the kingdom of God. And he looked forward to the day when he could wipe the tears from her eyes, heal all her hurts, make her whole, give her a new heart, provide for her the first opportunity of life. When he could hold her hand, walk by her side, and guide her into the kingdom of God. Henry recalls how in 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. It's interesting because the ordinance of men one day will be used against the people of God, and this too is part of the plan. The plan to demonstrate to man his inadequacies and inability to rule over other men. And man's rule will result in the extermination 